Hiya, welcome back to Chatting in the Stacks. I'm your host Chloe Austin and today you're hearing my conversation with Yiying Yo. Yiying is a curator with research interests in migration, language, translation and the concept of history. When we spoke earlier this year, Yiying had completed her MFA in curating at Goldsmiths and was working as an independent curator while also volunteering at the Stuart Hall Library. She's currently working as a project coordinator at an art museum in Taiwan. So without further ado, let's jump right into the conversation. What made you want to volunteer at the library? So I first came to Innova with my class of MFA curating at Goldsmiths in 2017. So when the library was still located in Shoreditch. And basically it was like a weekly or bi-weekly session specifically designed for us to visit like our institutions and have conversation with curators or other staff over there. And it was my actually my third month in London, I guess. And it wasn't too familiar with the art scene here. So it's quite like eye-opening to see such a rich collection a library has, especially those related to Asian, African and South American artists. And also those written in languages that's not like English. And because those are not like things that it's easy to find um, at other libraries in London. And I then became just very interested in the collection and what the library had been doing. So like projects, events, etc. So I went back for a couple more times in the following months to the talks, events, and to experience the audio piece by their, um, our residency artist, um, Ting Ting Zheng, who late, uh, I later worked with in the project I just did at the Arhop studio in Southeast London. And another reason that I've been, is that I've been really interested in publication as a form of output for artistic projects and also interested in how institutions that houses and programs from an archive or book collection could do like something differently from its counterparts. So places such Innova or like Banner Repeater, um, mm-hmm. the archive and bookshop. And Is that Hacky Down Station? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That one. So, but I didn't have like much time to do research on these um, things previously. So, Innova's co-op for like volunteers became a really good opportunity for me to have like more in-depth engagement. Mm, there's lots of interesting things there. Yeah. I was going to ask, did you meet Ting Ting Cheng at that? Um, yes, so, oh. I was really lucky. So when I first came here, it was just like one of the staff shows around the library. Mm-hmm. And then I saw a flyer of her work mm. and I read it. And then I thought like, I, I need to come back to see the work. So I made a reservation with the library. Mm-hmm. And then I, I think I came back to the library the next week and then she happened to be there. So we kind of like met mm-hmm. each other and had some conversation about the works and what she does in London. Yeah, and then we kind of, you know, stay in touch afterwards. That's so great, in yeah. bringing people together. That's true. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I also love what you said about us having a good collection of like kind of not like n- different languages mm-hmm. of books in different languages. I think that's yeah, yeah. a real strength of this collection. Mm-hmm. It's, it's actually really cool because I never expected to find like things, um, books re- written in like Mandarin, in any of the libraries in London. I mean, of course, SOAS has a lot of like collections about um, different Asian cultures, but 
like here, um, the library just has so many things that's specifically written in, in Mandarin and also about arts. Like that's something I think SOAS doesn't have. Yeah. And for example, that magazine, so Hansheng magazine, that's, yeah. I mean, I didn't really read it very carefully, but it's a very like famous Taiwanese magazine. Mm. And it's something that I wouldn't even thought that I could see um, in London or in many of the libraries in Taipei. And I was surprised to see like Innova has it. Yeah, I mean, that is <laughs> uh, the people who can't see. It's mm. a really beautiful, like just the, the, even the spine of that magazine always yeah, catches yeah. my attention. Mm -hmm. And I don't speak Mandarin, so I don't know what it's about. But, um, it's I great don't know that, either. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I just, because that's like, that name is something that I'm like, I've heard of, mm. but never just dig into like, the exact content of, of that magazine. Yeah. yeah, I think it's also something about art, culture, and maybe film, I guess. Yeah. But I think it's great that we have that sort of collection here, especially because there's so many people who do speak Mandarin who mm. are studying in London and studying art. So, it's true. you know, it's great that this is there. Maybe something could be translated yeah. <laughs> into English for us that don't. But, you know, like we have all the books, really, in, in English, so it's nice that we have such a good collection of Mandarin texts. So, yeah, so could you tell us about your most recent project, By Way of Returns? It also involved, as you said, the artist Ting Ting Cheng, who you mm -hmm. met here. Um, so unlike many of my friends or classmates, I actually don't have a focus uh, research interest. So what I do usually stems from what I read, see, experience, or flow. And, but more generally, I'm interested in artistic and curatorial practices that challenge and rethink the landscape and dominant narratives that pervade the contemporary societies. So by way of return is one such example. I've been following the issue of transitional justice in Taiwan for a while. So it's a series of measures to sort of redress um, those especially political dissidents whose human rights were abused or violated by the previous authoritarian, authoritarian government. And at the same time, it's also a gesture and effort of many to sort of re-examine re what has been written in the history and to somehow uncover the veiled and to voice the unheard. And I really wanted to do a project to address this issue. However, since I'm based here, so it's a bit hard to work remotely or fly, you know, back and forth to do research. It's just not something that I can afford. So I thought perhaps what I could do at the moment and here is to organize a project that sort of reconsider the notion of history, especially um, a general impression that consider it to be factual or reliable records of a past event or situation. And think with the artists, like through the gesture of returning in their works, how they could somehow uncover and perform some unfulfilled potentials of the past. So that's where and how like I started this project, basically. Right. Okay, so yeah. I love that. So you've kind of seen something you're interested in happening in Taiwan, mm -hmm. and then you've brought those ideas over into the new context which you find yourself in, which yeah, is yeah. South London, I believe? Yes, yeah. South East London. Mm. And it's the, so like by way of return, so it's about returning to a point in the past. and Yeah, so the whole project is basically three artists return to the history of uh, New Cross and Defer. Mm. So they they just find, for example, a specific his historical event that they are interested in or a situation that really just intrigued them and then just dig further into, they just like 
um, through reading, through interviewing, through、um, doing field research, they sort of go back to the history of that specific geographical location,、mm. and then trying to approach it in another way. Because most of what we know about history is from like something that's written by media or、mm. you know governmental bodies, and Those writings sort of have a specific view, so the view, like mostly a very top-down view or a very st- statistic-based view, and I think what the artists are doing in this project is to use other ways. For example, taking reference from ordinary people's voice, or making use of fiction as or like. Fictional figure as a way to sort of approach something that has happened in the past and see what's the capacity of that and how does that sort of help us think about how we are or where we are at the moment and also where we can go to in the future.、Mm. Yeah, I read your kind of accompanying book and a lot of the sort of. Artists were saying that they were looking at how we traditionally think about history and、mm. kind of trying to do things differently.、Okay. And I'm going to ask you one more question about this this project because、mm. it was a recent project, so we should definitely delve into it a little bit. <laughs> But I'm just going to talk about、um, Ting Ting Cheng's work actually、mm-hmm. that, that、um, she did, where、uh, she was looking at the New Cross、uh, House fire. Yeah. And she was looking at the march that took place、mm-hmm. afterwards. Actually, Ting Ting already finished this work when I approach. Her、um, about this project, but I just we just feel like the the work is a good fit, so we also included. I think she had been living in New Cross for more than five years、uh, when she found out about this historical event, and then she just at once became very interested in it as because that's something that she has been looking into or working on. It's similar to things that.、Mm. Basically, she has an interest in, so she somehow just wanted to do some research about this historical event because she think it's like a great event. How like how can you gather so many people? It's like a march with more than twenty or twenty five thousand participants. So、um, she went to George Patmore Institute, which is a grassroots archive that's. Now located, I think I believe it's in the north. I think that institute was part of New Beacon's book,、mm. so that bookshop was like the first bookshop that's dedicated to like black writers, and I think the writer of that bookshop was also the. I think it was the director. The of director, the, kind of, they made like this committee that yeah, was the committee kind of demanding justice、mm-hmm. for those that obviously died in the fire, and they were demanding that it was properly investigated, which it wasn't. Yeah, <laughs>、no. that's true. Yeah, so so that's why all those materials related to the committee was then donated、mm-hmm. um, to the institute. Yeah, so when she went to the institute, she just found out a lot of information about the march and how the protest was organized and the original root of the protest. And she sort of believes that、um, experiencing is more effective than just knowing or just talking about it. So she basically decided to rework the whole root of the march. 
So in her video, you will be able to see a first person shot of she walking all the way from Fulham Park, which mm -hmm. is a part uh, in New Cross, all the way to Hyde Park. So mm -hmm. the one in Central. And in the video, she also inserted some of her interviews with the March participants. I think she interviewed three of them and then just them recalling about their experience of participating in the march. And it's I, I'm not sure if that's a coincidence because all, all three people she interviewed happen to be uh, photographers. Okay. So they also talked about like how they sort of uh, photograph the whole event, basically. And um, not only playing those voices, um, she herself also tried to repeat what they say as a way to reinforce that sense of participation. And in the gallery setting, we also put um, a treadmill. Mm. So we somehow encourage, we want to encourage people to step on the treadmill and then walk with them um, in the march. And you, you're also invited to repeat the text that they said because uh, she has a synchronized color-coded uh, subtitles. Mm. So you can just read with them. Um, somehow when you are experiencing the work yeah i thought it was really fantastic when i was reading it because i mm. think especially for this this event this march protest march mm. i think a lot of the what we see in the media the way they represent it is often represented in a negative light or yeah. often was in the past mm -hmm. um and i think the fact that as an audience member you then embody it and you are you you are walking along the route now you're mm. saying the words it's a really like personal connection and it's a yeah, different yeah. point of view rather than looking at it from the outside mm -hmm. as you would when you watch the newsreels of it yeah you're, you're now part of it and I mm -hmm. think that really gives a lot of space for empathy which that's true that somehow just put you in their shoes mm. I guess yeah yeah very interesting so do you think that the time you spent in the library informed your curatorial approach I don't necessarily think that the time I spend here has like direct influence on the method that I take to curating, but it definitely opens my eyes to a more like diverse array of curatorial and artistic approaches. So through reading and doing research on the collection, I'm more like I'm exposed to projects that are not only down within the Euro-American context, but also those organized by a variety of people in places around the world. Um, it's a very uh, nourishing process to see how people approach similar ideas or subjects through different perspectives or from, histor like from different historical backgrounds. For example, um, I think a lot of projects have dealt with issues surrounding history and memory. And in the European context, I guess it's easy to see research or discussions around, for example, Holocaust or racial issues. But if you read catalogues of a similar topic discussed in East or Southeast Asia, you'll probably see works concerning um, things like Vietnam War or the trauma left by either Western or Japanese colonial power or trauma left by regimes or dictatorship or something like that. And they are not necessarily all curated in the form of exhibitions. So other formats that they take, such as publications, event programs, or performance series, and the ways that they are documented, not only like photographs or um, video in the traditional sense, but also textual and even poetic response, are some of the things that really inspire me. Mm. Yeah, that's mm. really true. I think it's also 
we're talking about like a non-Western, I hate the word non-Western because I feel like it, mm-hmm. it makes it, it really <laughs> centres the West when you say it, but you it's know. It's also binary in a way. Yeah, yeah. it's very binary, <laughs> let's, you know, let's not say that. But you know, if we're looking at other cultures um, mm. and how they are curating, um, I think that's very interesting in terms of an alternative to the way that we create, I mean, let's say in Britain, mm-hmm. um, you know, these huge exhibitions. And I've been thinking a lot about how sustainable this is in the future in terms mm. of the climate and fine art across the world. And the mm. things you're talking about are a lot more like ephemeral and they're a lot lower impact yeah. when it comes to that. And I think that's a really interesting way of thinking about things. Um, mm. and, you know, really interesting way of displaying art. We get sort of smaller scale, temporary, you know, things happening that mm. maybe are less, less, less of a huge impact. In any yeah. of I think we tend to, to value high impact mm-hmm. art and perhaps... Yeah, but I, that just I just feel like there are some of the things that are smaller or more um, invisible in a way, but they will still have like some impact. For example, if you do a publication for an exhibition, it might not be something that's like uh, that can reach so many people, but if you put it in the library, donate it to a library somehow, and then one day someone will happen to, you know, just come across it and they might be something that they're actually looking for or just like somehow speaks to what they're interested in. Mm. Yeah. It's, uh, it's got like more of a longevity to it in that mm. way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's very true. Um, and talking about sort of publications, uh, mm-hmm. should we talk about your project Infiltrating the In-Between, which mm-hmm. I believe is a publication? Yes, well, um, basically it's actually a project that I developed when I first moved to London. And that at that time, I constantly had a strong sense of an ease, so both in terms of language and in terms of culture. Because using a foreign language to live in a city whose people's way of life is largely different from mine, somehow really stressed me out. Um, that's unsurprising. That's yeah. Just, you know, like, <laughs> that's true. <laughs> but like when you really feel that, that, that feeling is still, you know, very strong. Mm. And it's stronger than you would expect, I guess. Definitely. Mm. So at that time, I felt quite isolated. So that's somehow uh, why, when, why and when I became interested in the issue of migration, even though I'm not a migrant, essentially. And my struggle, I think, is not comparable to theirs. But through my conversation with several of them and my participation in some of the relevant events, I just felt that I could identify with what they feel and experience. So both me, I think both me and they are in constant translation. So we are translating our language to make ourselves understood by others. Also translating others' culture to something that we could sympathize and understand or vice versa. So in that project, I was basically looking at, um, so with the artists I had conversation with, what's lost, found, and even um, created in the process. Um, but that was actually a project that I didn't realize mm. in the end. I was Originally, I was planning to do an exhibition, mm. but then I just feel like I still have a lot of things to learn. And I think the whole idea of the... Um, exhibition was not I just I don't know I just feel like I wasn't prepared Mm. um, at that moment so uh, instead I did 
I just did a small publication, but it's somehow also related, yeah, in a way. Um, so the publication is more about this idea of home, because at that time, um, I was auditing um, a course called what's it called? Uh, transcultural memory. Yeah, mm -hmm. at Goldsmith. So it was a um, module, I think, of contemporary art theory. And um, there was like an opportunity just came up because the tutor sort of wanted us to do a small collab with um, the Freud, Freud Museum mm -hmm. in London. And they were then having an exhibition about um, Freud's and his family's experience of moving or fleeing from uh, Vienna to London. Mm -hmm. And I thought uh, it would be interesting or it would be uh, sort of resonant to talk about this idea of home, especially mm -hmm. the idea of home for migrants. So that's why I did that publication. So centering the discussion around home and how that idea changed when you move to other cities or another cultural or countries, basically. Mm. Yeah. And because I went to a writing workshop organized by the feminist library right, in London, yeah, yeah. like actually, uh, I think a month before I did the publication and it was a writing workshop about so how you express your self-identity in your writing. And a lot of the contributors that I have in the publication is actually the people that I met through that workshop. Wow. Yeah. You're such a good workshop networker. You <laughs> no. seem to be very good at, at finding people, you know, going to things and then... Mm, I just feel like, because obviously the things or the events that I go are... Uh, have topics or issues that I'm interested in mm. and it's natural that you will meet people with similar interests there so when I'm doing my projects I just it's just very naturally that I will think of mm. them and then I'll just see if they're interested in doing something and if they are then yeah it's yeah. just how it all works <laughs> <laughs> that's great yeah, so you finished your MFA now, I believe. Mm, oh, yes. Congratulations! Thank you. <laughs> I'm putting some sound effects with yeah. <laughs> Some claps. Yes. <laughs> so yeah, so how did you find that that course, and how did, how has volunteering in the library kind of fitted into all of your projects that you've been working on alongside it? Mm. Um, I think again, it's like the whole process of doing the MFA degree is a very enriching experience. So the course um, actually touches upon a number of issues that are pressing um, in our world as well as in many of the contemporary societies. So in seminars, we not only discuss about, for example, curatorial theories, but also studies around feminism, queer um, environment, race and migration, etc. And since I didn't study fine art at, in my BA or nothing like related to art, well, basically I study literature, but right. it's not that, you know, closely related. But most of these were like things that are very new to me. So I guess I was just 
amazed by like how certain things can be approached in such like intriguing and effective ways in artistic and curatorial projects throughout the times I was you know studying in the program and um, even though the program has been structured to expose us to a very diverse um, discourses I think there are still things um, missing in it and I would say it's still like I said uh, it's pretty Euro and perhaps North American centric. Mm. So the text we read and discuss and the project that we use as case studies are pre predominantly those done within this context. So even though, for example, feminism has been a topical issue in South Korea and in a lot of uh, countries in other parts of the world, and it has somehow developed ideas and methods that are specific to their cultural contexts, we, mo uh, we basically most only read about uh, second wave feminism mm. in the course. So the library is a, I think it's a very good complement in this case, because in here, I'm able to find texts and books writing about projects and ideas that are rarely discussed in my program. So like um, my response to your previous question is just, it has the ability to somehow open my view to some other landscapes. Mm, that's great. And yeah, so can you tell us about some of the blog posts you've written for the library? Yeah. Um, so I actually told Tavian, so the library manager here, that I've been wanting to do more research on Asian-born or uh, based artists, mm. which I didn't get much chance and resources to look into previously. So she then asked if I'd be interested in writing a blog post about um, Chinese contemporary artists as Inovaco published a book around this topic, but it was back in, I think, 2001. Mm. And now it seems to be a good timing to look at some of the new and exciting voices in the art scene. So that's the starting point. And, but I wasn't too sure about this in the beginning, to be honest, because I think aside from my ethnic and perhaps part of my cultural origin, I basically have not much to do with China, like I wasn't born and raised there, and nor was I like familiar with the art scene. So I didn't feel like I was the right or like the best person to write about this. But at some point I changed my mind as I gradually realized that just as what usually happens to me um, here in London, the term Chinese is a label that's been imposed on so many artists. Mm. So I started to research and think about how this term functions in the art world and what's actually there beyond all the preconceptions that it carries. And not only the collection of the li library, but also the artists the, uh, that Innova has worked with helped me a lot uh, in my research. So collection-wise, I think the library has quite a few catalogs of exhibitions that happen in China and other, um, you know, Chinese societies. Mm. So by Chinese societies, I mean places that's linguistically or culturally influenced by China, but not necessarily its territory, or exhibitions that uh, predominantly involves Chinese artists, and. I think they just enabled me to see like what's in there in the scene and who um, stands out in what way. And also these volumes are very easy to find in the library as, as the library somehow adopts a co collective 
classification system that categorizes its book according to the major geographical uh, location they are linked to. But I mean, um, it's somehow convenient and easy to, for you to find book, but I guess this system is also problematic mm. in a way. Especially but, in the case of, case of Chinese territories. Yeah, and I think also because in many cases a project might not just, you know, uh, relate to one geographical mm. location or maybe the geographical location is not the most important thing right. um, in that project. And in that case, what's the meaning of, you know, categorizing it? according to the geographical location that it happens. Mm. Yeah, so, but that's another topic. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we can talk about the uh, entire issues with the library classification systems and other stuff. <laughs> yeah. That's a whole other I think I think the uh, residency artist this year, mm. um, Alicia, I think yes. her, her piece actually talks about like mm. she the, talks about the con the Library of Congress classification systems mm -hmm. in the world. Yeah, 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 in in her films, that one is quite interesting. Mm. Very interesting. Yeah. So okay, coming back to my answer. <laughs> <laughs> um, so as for the artist the institution has worked with, um, Ting Ting has like as I mentioned earlier, she actually did a project at the Chinese Center of Contemporary Art in Manchester. Mm. And in that project, she sort of restages a debate in a seminar that explores some of the new possibility of the term Chinese. So based on a textual report uh, of that event and some of the interviews she did with the participants of that uh, symposium. And the discussion somehow just like really enlightened me in thinking about um, how the term Chinese function in our world. And also, um, another artist duo, um, Shanzai Lyrics. Mm -hmm. So they took part uh, as one of the speakers of Innova's research networks. And I think they're ever growing like archive of this kind of um, counterfeit uh, clothing produced in China somehow opens up a very interesting discussion around the fashion industry and mm, yeah, mass yeah. production. So yeah, it's interesting. I also uh, include them um, and their works in my blog post. So mm. they, are, they are not in the collection of Innova, but they are the artists that um, Innova has worked with. Yeah, they were part of the research network. And mm. I love their project. So I've, I went to Shanghai, I don't want to name drop oh. that, but, mm -hmm. and I did notice the lot of t-shirts people mm -hmm. were wearing don't make any sense. Oh yeah. But like, that's the brilliantness. <laughs> I, I, kind of, I bought a few back with me because oh, really? I, I love the fact that they make no sense. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but I know like people, um, I mean, I don't think only in China, but also like mm. uh, throughout like East Asia, people are obsessed with, you know, t-shirts and clothing with like English letters. People yeah. just think it just looks good and make them look fancy yeah. in a way. So they don't really care like what's, what's the actual the meaning of yeah. the text. It's just like the idea that they have English letters on yeah. the t-shirt just makes it look you know, Porsche in a way. Yeah, well, that's funny because I think often in like, like 
you know, British fast fashion shops, you'll see mm. tops that might have French words on them. Mm. And like, I used to have a top when I was younger that said like, oui, non, on it. Mm. Like, it just, just says yes and no in French. It doesn't make any sense. And I used to think it was very sophisticated and very chic because mm. it was it was in French. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, so yeah, I think it, it, it's, every culture has its own, mm-hmm. its way of seeing something that's not their culture and thinking, oh, that's that's fancy. Mm. Um, I think a lot um, more shops here also sell t-shirts with either Chinese character mm. or Japanese characters on. Well, now that's really and fashion, wasn't a it? a lot of them also don't make sense. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> so like... And also, you know, a lot of tattoos that um, European, European people yeah. have, it's like they are Chinese characters, but they don't really mean anything mm. or they have like really funny meanings. <laughs> <laughs> if you are a native speaker, you would just like, oh, what's that? Yeah, exactly. It goes around and comes around, I think. Mm. Every culture is doing it. <laughs> but in a way, it's quite nice because because it's like, I mean, it is deeply problematic, mm. but um, I think what it comes back to in some ways is you could say like an admiration of some of a different culture, even if mm-hmm. it's a really problematic yeah. admiration to not truly understand it um, and get it on your skin for life. You know, I don't know. That's a whole other argument. But. Mm. Yeah, but I think that what that's just exactly why or what makes like Shanghai lyrics does interesting because mm. they it's like they are not like harshly criticizing mm. these closings instead they sort of use them as a resources and then you know just um organize loads of interesting things out of those like the resources that they have and it's i guess it's just like a very um poetic or like it's non-direct but like poetic way for people to think about this phenomenon of like mass production mm. of, in the world, I guess. Yeah, it's a really interesting project. Mm. Check it out on the Inner website. Famous <laughs> <laughs> plug there. <laughs> and so yeah, so we've, as we've been talking about kind of like Chinese art, I just thought we could kind of talk mm. about how broad a term that is. Um, mm-hmm. Obviously, China and places related to China is a massive, massive mm. territory full of millions and billions of people. Mm-hmm. So, what do you kind of think about this kind of um, label, I guess. That's... Mm. Yeah, I th- your original question was about like the biggest um, yeah, misconceptions the about either Chinese or Taiwanese arts. So I don't think there's like a biggest misconceptions mm. um, as such. But I think what I care more about is like you said, the imposed um, labels. Mm. So of course there are things that specific to the cultures and societies of either China or Taiwan and the issues um, artists from these two political entities particularly wanted to address. But I think something wider and universal also uh, exists in their works. Mm. So I think the same is applicable to like female, queer or artists coming from other places Mm -hmm. but like operate um, in like Europe or North America so people have like certain expectations on you so if you're a woman you are somehow expected to do certain kinds of works use certain kinds of materials such as like textile or Mm. whatever but I think those are either irrelevant to your practice or something that you want to get rid of so I just feel like unless these elements have a specific or like a significance in uh, an artist's practice their nationality race gender or sexuality just shouldn't be something that's been used as a lens through which people look at their works yeah 
Exactly. I totally and, agree with you. <laughs> yeah, and I guess that's something that I'm trying to say or do in the blog post that I wrote. Mm. It's somehow trying to destabilize this idea of Chinese mm. and sort of present the reader with uh, a, like a wide range of practices um, artists related to or labeled as Chinese could have. Mm. And they're actually very diverse and they're not, I don't think that they fit into the stereotypes that people give them. Mm. And it's just, there are a lot of things there that make them Chinese, but not at the same time. Yeah, yeah so definitely. I just basically don't want people to, you know, keep looking at these artists uh, from a specific um, geographical location in a certain way and in a very like stereotype way. Mm, definitely. And I'm just, mm. I'm just thinking how this kind of links back to what you said earlier about you feeling that on your course you didn't necessarily look at Chinese artists very often, it was a very Western point of view. Mm. But then if we if we stopped looking at these artists as Chinese first of all and just mm. and we're looking at the individual, you know, practices. what their practices were, they could yeah. very easily like slide into that, you know, the curriculum that's already there mm. into the different sections. You know, you wouldn't need to have a lecture on Chinese artists, you could mm. have Chinese artists like you were saying, the South Korean artists in the in the feminist lectures mm-hmm. and bringing it all in. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's decolonize that curriculum. <laughs> I mean, I think one of the difficulties um, in like the cur- curriculums here is that, I mean, a lot of the tutors they are not familiar with these artists because mm. they are, I mean, they are not familiar with the art scenes in other places in the world. So yeah. I guess it's quite hard for them, if even if they like try very hard, like it's still hard to bring in artists from other play, like other parts of the world because they just don't know them mm. and these artists basically if they don't uh, exhibit their works internationally it's hard for them to be seen mm. and also um, there's an issue of translation so if mm. they only um, show their works for example in South Korea and all the texts are written in Korean like mm. how you just it just takes a lot of effort to do the translation and then to introduce the artists like to I guess the context here yeah. yeah so there's a lot of difficulties in there but I'm also thinking about like how international students can do to mm. sort of help change this situation because obviously we know the language that our tutors don't mm. and we know the artists that the tutors don't really have an idea of and it might be an opportunity for us to bring in those artists and just sort of bring them into the discussion of of our course. That might be something that's helpful, Mm. but yeah, Yeah. I'm not sure. (laughs) No, I definitely think it is, but I just, I don't know whether the burden should be on you to Mm. teach them, but then I think you're right for, you know, it's good to obviously have that knowledge share with other students Mm. who may not, you know, understand the language. so yeah, so back to your work that you've been doing at the library. Mm-hmm. So I'm right in saying that you've been indexing Yishu. Have mm-hmm. I said that correctly? Yeah. Yishu. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so could you tell us a little about the journal? Um, so I've known like the ex- existence of, it's actually Yishu. 
Ah, you said I said it yeah. right. <laughs> I mean, it's it's already good enough. No. Like you don't have to. Okay, but basically, issue. Okay. Yeah, issue for for a long time.、Mm. Um, just like I know, like the Hansen magazine. But it wasn't until like I started doing um the index thing that I re really opened one of the physical copies.、Mm. So in Chinese or in、um, Mandarin, to be precise, um, issue literally means art.、Mm. Um, so it's. Uh, an English language journal that's dedicated to the discussion around Chinese contemporary art and culture. So,、um, in it, readers are able to find exhibition reviews, artist interviews, or scholarly texts analyzing, for example, a phenomenon in the Chinese-speaking art world.、Um, but interestingly, even though it's a journal about Chinese art, the editorial office of this journal is actually Um, located in Vancouver, Canada,、mm -hmm. and the publisher is a Taiwanese art magazine called Art Touch. So, I just feel like the very existence of this magazine and how it operates somehow embodies a very complex two or even three way relationship among these, you know, cultural and political entities.、Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, I'm not sure why they choose Vancouver as, as the, I mean. Like where the office is located, but I guess I'm more、um, interested in how a Taiwanese magazine would want to publish like、mm. um, a journal that basically talks about Chinese art. Yeah, and it all、uh, it's all like somehow、uh, connected to the historical background. Taiwan used to be. Like the only and the rightful representative of China, so、mm. back in sixties and seventies when、um, came KMT, so it's a party that used to rule China,、uh, mm. but they lost、uh, the civil war to the current communist party, so、mm. they fled to Taiwan, and basically took control of the whole island. But at that time, the international society didn't really recognize the. Uh, regime in China, so KMT was actually the rightful rep representative of、right. China. But it was like, in Taiwan. Yeah, right. It's located in Taiwan, but it represents whole China and, for example, UN and all the international organizations. And then I think it was until the seventies or eighties、um, when the current Chinese government became stronger. So a lot of countries started to cut ties with Taiwan. So with the The government in Taiwan, and then start to establish diplomatic relationship with the government in China.、Mm. So that's when、um, the KMT government started to lose its power. But you know, because of that historical background of them representing the whole China um, um, in the global society,、mm. a lot of the,、um, for example, magazines or things in Taiwan, they would just say Chinese. So that's why I think that's probably why they have like you know a journal、um, mm. about Chinese art published by a Taiwanese magazine. So it has、mm. like a origin in there. Yeah, but most of the younger generations of Taiwanese people, just like me, we we wouldn't think ourselves as Chinese,、mm. and、um, we had, an, so we were. Democratized basically in the nineties. So now,、um, our president is actually not from KMT. She's、mm. from another 
um, party. So, yeah. So we are. I mean, for my parents, their generation. I guess they are just very confused because、yeah. when when my mom is trying to refer to people living in Taiwan, she、mm. will sometimes use Chinese, sometimes、mm. use Taiwanese. But I think by Chinese, she doesn't mean、um, China. She means、um, Chinese as like a ethnicity. Right. Yeah. But like by Taiwanese, she also doesn't think、um, Taiwan is like the name of the country. She she's just referring to people living on this island. And yeah, but like for me, I wouldn't use Chinese like at all, and、yeah. that's a conscious choice.、Mm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's so interesting. I've learned so much about this history just now. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's really interesting. I mean, that's something that most of the people here don't really know. So yeah, I think like telling people. <laughs> I was vaguely aware of it from people、mm-hmm. that I know who are from Taiwan, but they、mm-hmm. never fully explained、mm-hmm. the complex. Because it's very complex. Yeah, like complicated,、mm. and it's still, and it's going to be more complicated, and it's a very sensitive issue.、Mm. So, for example, I'm working at Natural History Museum,、mm. and、um, we will have like a name badge.、Mm. Uh, so we have our name on it,、mm. and also、um, some of the flags. So、mm. that flags. Uh, represent the languages that you speak, and I mean I speak Mandarin.、Mm-hmm. I wouldn't want them to put a flag of China <laughs>、yes. on my badge, <laughs> and then also I mean I would be it would be hard for them to put、um, Taiwan's flag、mm. on the name badge as well because I think they're gonna probably get in trouble if、mm-hmm. they do that. So it's a blank. Oh, oh no! no. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, but people still come to me like ask if you speak Mandarin because、yeah. I look. Chinese in a way, right? So yeah, so completely change switch. Switch things <laughs> yeah, sorry. up. Sorry, that's the topic. But I think it is important for the topic to understand the complexities being, you know,、mm-hmm. seen as Chinese, all that sort of stuff. Yeah. So yeah, so to prep for the podcast, I asked you to bring some things from the library、mm-hmm. which you wanted to highlight. So what have you brought with you? I actually brought a bi-annually published magazine called Art One Out.、Mm-hmm. So it's a independent magazine based in Malaysia, and I mean it doesn't really have a rigid topic. So instead, it's sort of it's a collection of texts that are related to you know all aspects of people's life basically. So people write about their experiences of traveling and their idea of home, or like they record some of their casual conversations with others. It sounds really spontaneous, I know, but <laughs> <laughs> somehow I think it touches upon、um, something that's like you know, bigger, deeper, or po- more political in a way. And、um, there's a part well, in their first issue when one of the founders explain about their her choice to do the magazine in English instead of in Malay,、mm. and how the language sort of operates for Malaysia people. And I think I would just want to read you a small part of that. Yes, please do. Yeah. Okay. So、um, it's titled "The Dying Language," and it's written. Oh my God! I really struggle to pronounce her name.、Um, I think you're just saying that to make me feel better about <laughs> my mispronunciation. <laughs>、um, I think it's Hamiza Adnan.、Um, So she's talking about like yeah, like I said, how, why she decided to, you know, do the magazine in English and what's the meaning of 
the language Malay to her and to many people in Malaysia, basically. Um, so she writes um, more than once. I've been suggested to write this magazine entirely in Bahasa Malaysia, and um, so Bahasa is a direct translation of the word language mm-hmm. um, in Malay. And I came up with several excuses on why I choose not, but ultimately it came down to one simple reason. I'm incompetent to write or edit articles in Bahasa. There seems to be a non-existent love affair with the national language. Either that or the love isn't as prevalent as it should be. Malaysians in general have strong reluctance in utilizing the correct form of Bahasa, perhaps because in its purest form, Bahasa feels a bit grating, difficult to relate, and almost always makes you want to cringe. So we end up making it more adaptable by bending the rules. So changing pronunciations, shortening phrases, modernizing terms, often combining and borrowing words from English. But what we end up with is a haphazard language, lacking its originality and refinement. Perhaps most Malaysians are unwilling to fully make use of the language for fear of coming off as too intense, passionate, or rather dramatic. A deeply seated fear of truly revealing and expressing oneself that drives us to surrender to a more reserved and restrained um, demeanor. How you pronounce oh, that demeanor. word? Demeanor. Mm. But just because we let Bahasa fall by the wayside it isn't a testament to our superiority in the English language either. Instead, we are suspended between two languages which we are no masters of. Yeah, I just really like this um, paragraph because I've known like several Malaysian people and know like how complicated their cultures and like their cultures are and like how the racial issues are like such a big thing um, in the country and but I never really thought about like how they feel about this language Mm. and the dilemma of them you know in choosing which language to use because I think most of them are multilingual so they speak Mm depending on their ethnic origin, they would speak um, Malay or like Chinese, um, Hokkien, Cantonese. Mm -hmm. And I think, I believe there are a lot of, um, also a large amount of like Indian uh, population Mm -hmm. in the territory. But like the official or the common language is Malay. Mm. But that Malay, like Malay as a language, it's also a very, I mean, it doesn't really have something like English it sort of derives from a specific like ancient language it's like a mixture of different language mm. so that just makes the language very interesting mm. but also I don't know not so formal in a way mm. so people wouldn't want to use them that often and they but they are they still need to use it so yeah. there's a 
like struggle in there, I guess. Mm. Mm. Yeah, like I, that's really interesting hearing someone speak about struggling with their own language because mm-hmm. often you hear people say, "Oh, I struggle with my second language." Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's really interesting to hear someone talk about how they feel expressing themselves in what is their first language. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Was、well, not necessary their not first necessarily language, first language true. but I mean that's the language that they use、mm. commonly. But they are they still don't have that kind of you know confidence in it like. Totally,、mm. mm. and I think in in a later part she actually mentioned about it's not because like the language. Oh, what she said. Yeah, it's not because the language、um, lacks like expressive nuances. It's、mm. actually because、um, the language is a bit too strong、mm-hmm. and also outdated in a way. So I think there was an、um, example. She said the word love. So in Malay, it's called sinta, and it's a word which, on its own, seems harmless, innocent, and sweet enough to be a name. But the complete translated phrase is fraught with dated melodrama and contrived emotion that, like, the only reaction, uh, people will have to it is to avoid it in its entirety.、Mm. <laughs> so then, is that more a problem with the translation than with the, the language, the way that. Mm. It's perceived in other languages. Yeah,、mm. probably. But I mean, like the translation you have in another language also derives from the original meaning、mm. of it. Of course, there are gonna be something that's been added through translation or that's been lost、yeah. in translation. But if it's for like people who knows both language yeah, very yeah. well, I guess they just can't,、uh, like, accept the fact that that word has so much. Meanings and other meanings in the <laughs> other language. <laughs> I guess that's interesting.、Mm. That was really good. Thanks for sharing that. No worries. <laughs> so yeah, so ooh, we're down to the last few questions. <laughs> okay.、Um, Finally. So yes,、yeah, so、how has your perception of the collection changed since you've been volunteering? Um, to be honest, I don't think there is a like drastic change、mm. in my perception. But through the time I spent here, I think I was able to discover interesting stuff that I didn't expect to find in the collection. So, for example,、um, the Art One Out magazine that I just talked about, because I didn't, I, I never heard of it before. I just you know came across it on the shelf here, and also things such as Daikon, like、um, one of my kind. So I think coming across them here in the library are some of the. Like serendipities that I enjoy the most in the in the process.、Mm. Yeah, there's nothing like coming across a book in the library that you、yeah. just caught your eye and then you pick it out and、mm. like, wow, this is, this is incredible. Yeah, and also I think my favorite part of the library is the zine collection because、mm. it's it just has so many things there and it's not available like anywhere else、mm. or it's like not in many places. So it's hard actually to. You know, have the chance to have a read at those things,、mm. and they have like all sorts of like unexpected things donated to the、yeah. library, and it's just yeah interesting. Whenever I'm you know flipping through the all the books in the cover box,、mm. and it's just like sometimes you would just find things that you didn't expect at all, and it's like ooh, but that's also interesting. Yeah, the collection is <laughs> great, and, and also I think it really links to what we were talking about right at the beginning.、Mm-hmm. We were talking about history and 
you know, who writes history, what history is about. And yeah. I think the zines are really a way of a lot of people telling their stories in the mm-hmm. way that's not sort of the, you know, the media or like, it's you know, it's like self-publishing. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's not official. It's it's totally against that. Mm. It's self-publishing. It's telling your own story the way yeah. you want to tell it. Because mm-hmm. um, if you look at all the other books in the library, they are like properly printed and mm. like binded. But those zines are just like, they're casually made. They're made from papers that you can find. Um, like at your in your room or whatever, mm. but that I think that kind of uh, sense of like casual and like spontaneousness, sort of give it. Um, I'm searching for the word. <laughs> <laughs> I think I know what word you're thinking of. I'm trying to think of it, but um, mm, I mean, it just give like it an immediate an no, sorry an immediacy so yeah like it's, yeah, it's, yeah. Mm-hmm. it hasn't gone through tons of editing mm. you know it's what you've written down yeah yeah then, yeah it's yeah. like very spontaneous but it's real mm. and true true to the feeling that someone has at certain point mm. and that's what i really like about things yo aha that's the end of this week's chat as ever thanks so much to my guest Ying for joining me and to Shepard Manika for writing the music and to all of you for listening join me in a couple weeks when I'll be talking to Kaya Birch-Skerritt about Zion uh-huh.